Gradebook, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. It's one o'clock on March 15th, and legislative session has been over for nearly a week now. And so I'm reporter Jeff Solacek here with Emily Mahoney from our Tallahassee Bureau, and we're going to give you a rundown of what happened, what didn't, what's still going on, and particular attention to some of the concerns that superintendents are raising now that the budget is out so, Emily, the session is done, but there's still a lot left in hanging, and, and it seems like the the legislative budget is one of the key issues. Um, are you still hearing a lot up there in Tallahassee, or has it all just devolved down here to our school districts? Well, yeah, that's right. I mean, it seems to me like... Um as you noted, the, the superintendents yesterday called for Governor Scott to call a special session, which is pretty extraordinary, to redo the, the education funding. So, and those superintendents are obviously scattered around the state. Um, so yeah, it seems like the conversation is kind of decentralized from up here in the capital to, to all over the place now. We had five superintendents in the Tampa area gather on well, this morning, and they and they spoke for a half an hour about their concerns. I'll just play a little piece from Hillsborough County School Superintendent Jeff Aikens, where he's makes the point that you know they're upset and they want everyone to tell Governor Rick Scott what they think. We're asking everyone in our communities to reach out to Governor Scott with a message: Let's do more. Let him know you you support bringing the legislature back to Tallahassee or having him create some mechanism to fixing this issue for our local schools. We need to do more for our students. So, pick out your phone. Email rick.scott at eog.myflorida.com. Use the subject, let's do more. Explain in just a few sentences who you are and why you support bringing the legislature back to Tallahassee to do more or for him to create a fix to this particular budget challenge that we're faced in our public schools in Florida. We want Governor Scott to see that there are thousands of people across our state who support our students. I don't know if the superintendents have have gotten the voice out, if if the emails are starting to flow into the governor's email box yet. Is that something that you check regularly? No, it's not. But the the governor issued a statement yesterday in response to this this letter that the superintendents had issued and basically said that it wasn't in the cards that – he didn't say it directly, but it certainly didn't sound like he was considering calling any kind of special session or vetoing the FEFP, the per student funding, um, saying that they prioritized uh, school safety funding this year, which is true. They spent $400 million on that school safety package, much of which will be used for armed uh, campus police and for more mental health professionals in schools. And as a result of all of that, um, as we've written about, the base student allocation, which is basically for normal school operations, only went up by 47 cents this year, which is really small compared to what it's been in, in recent years. So, And you you talked to Superintendent Runcie yesterday specifically about this. Isn't that right? Yes. And he was really concerned that <clears throat> first you have the base student allocation down to 47 cents, as you mentioned. And that's very different than what the governor originally proposed, which was a $152 increase in base student allocation. And then he noted also that 
As a result of that and some other changes to the formula, large school districts that serve the bulk of the students in the state are seeing actual decreases in their funding. Um, in Broward County, he said he was going to lose about $16 per student, which runs into the millions of a deficit from just where they were last year. And so the concern is pretty high that, you know, they're not going to be able to do the things that they want to do educationally. And still, they may not even be able to meet some of these safety concerns that the legislature raised for them because there's just not enough money to go around and they don't really feel like they have to, they should have to choose. Yeah, and it's, I think that's so interesting what you were talking about with the, um, the urban school districts kind of struggling more with funding this year. And I think that that really highlights something that is um, pronounced in Florida, and that's not beyond the kind of the partisan divide that there is in Florida. There's a huge urban-rural divide, and that's really highlighted in this issue, that there are um, Republicans that represent both urban areas like the Tampa area and the Miami area that have been fighting against this kind of change in the formula that um, – basically gives more money to rural districts, which are generally poor, but also have much lower costs of living. And uh, meanwhile, there are uh, Republican legislators who were fighting in the opposite. And it seems that they won the day this session. And that's why the formula changed. It's part of the reason that I think that some of these superintendents are making the argument that the governor needs to veto this budget and have the lawmakers reconsider what's going on and look at the reality from their perspective anyway. They don't seem to think that it's something as simple as just cutting administrative expenses and then they'll be able to handle everything. The governor did veto the FEFP a year ago, and so it's not out of the realm of possibility. But from what you're saying and from what we've read from the governor so far, uh, he doesn't sound inclined. But I guess maybe if parents do flood his email inbox, he could have a change of heart because he is looking to run for Senate, U.S. Senate. Isn't that correct? Yep, that's right. And it's it's been very interesting. I mean, education funding is really complex. And, um, you know, as we mentioned, there's the base student allocation that is used for general school operations. The examples I've been I've been given are they use it for the electricity bills. They use it to, for toilet paper. They use it for everything. Um, but then, of course, there are there were general increases for things like uh, the campus police that we were talking about. And that's something that Governor Scott really has made kind of a huge mission this session after the Parkland shooting and that Republican leadership in general made a huge mission that they wanted to, uh, quote unquote, harden schools, make basically make it harder to attack schools and make them uh, more fortified against events like this. So I think that that really was the priority this session after Parkland. And um, I, I don't see him budging on this, at least from what we've seen so far. The point that some of the superintendents have made, though, is that there is a surplus out there, and they believe the governor who told them that, that there are billions of dollars available and all he needs to do is set some priorities. Right now, their position is that they have taken the stance that hardening the schools, putting in the resource officers is important. There's not even enough money to do all of what they think needs to be done in that regard. But then also, there's just not enough money to do things like pay for increasing retirement benefit costs, which the legislature is also requiring school districts to pay for. So when they go in and say, well, we'd like to give raises, pay utilities and things like that, it's a non-starter. And they're, they're looking to the legislature and saying it's their fault. They don't want to wear this one on their shoulders. 
Yes, and that is interesting. And something that um, I spoke to uh, Representative Manny Diaz, who's a Republican who represents Hialeah, and he's a, a leader in kind of the education sphere. And he was talking to me yesterday about how the teachers' bonuses have been included in the current uh, funding levels. Um, but that's something that the House really has chosen to do. They'd rather fund teacher bonuses based on um, their performance evaluations and, and other metrics rather than fund teacher uh salary raises, which is what the Senate had originally wanted, but the House won out on that. And so it's very complex. It's interesting. But yeah, I mean, there is a uh, $3.3 billion um, reserve in Florida, and they, at least leadership seems like they're not willing to dip into that for this. So it is it is about priorities. And I think the superintendents have a point on that. I guess the governor has until March 29th to sign the budget or to do something with the budget. And he's been going around the state making all sorts of speeches about what he's doing with money and the things that he's been trying to emphasize, all, I guess, leading up to his campaign. So it should be interesting to see how this all plays out. And I guess we'll all have to keep an eye on it. You up there and us down here in these school districts, because he seems to show up in school districts, especially down in Tampa, quite frequently these days. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. I mean... I think that uh, this gun bill, like we've talked about before, the the school safety bill, and it had gun control measures in it, and it was this huge package. It just sucked a lot of oxygen out of everything else uh, this session, and for good reason. I mean, it was so important, and this was such a monumental tragedy, and with the mobilization of the Parkland students and everything. But uh, I do think it it did kind of take away some of the conversation from general school funding and and some of the money, quite frankly. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how they how they're able to play this. I think that in general, um, they feel victorious about that bill passing and that there is quite a bit of support for some of the measures that they did pass, although the the measure to arm school staff is highly controversial. But other parts of the bill are pretty popular. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of reception they get. That bill did go through pretty easily, all things considered. And so too did the House Bill 7055, which we talked about at length before, that giant bill that included so many different pieces of legislation all wrapped up into one. There were very few other education bills that made it all the way to the finish line, though, this year. Just a very tiny portion. I guess the entire legislative session generated a lot fewer bills making it all the way through to the governor's desk than in past years. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that report that there were fewer bills that were passed this year than than in something like a decade or or even longer. And I think that's interesting. I think that it says more about the way that they pass bills than anything else. Um, I wouldn't say that, that, I mean, maybe they're passing fewer policies, but in general, it seems like everything is getting packaged together and therefore that also reduces the bill count. Um, I mean, as we've noted, 7055 had close to 200 pages. It had tons of different uh, policies in there. Even the school safety bill, Senate Bill 7026, had everything from mental health professionals to campus police officers to arming school staff and how local law enforcement agencies would train school staff to do this. So there's just tons of policies kind of wrapped up into these big bills. And I think that also has something to do with it. It's really interesting because I was speaking with Senator Tom Lee the other day, and he was observing that when the Republicans first took over the legislature back in the 90s, they fought against these kinds of log-rolling bills, and they really didn't want to have those things happen. They started, they tried to do away with a lot of the shell bills, which is you'd put in a, a bill number with nothing in it and then fill it up at the last minute, 
And and now they've just kind of come full circle as they've been in charge of things. And it's something where you kind of have to suck up. What did he call it? A Hobbes, Hobbes agreement or where you have to take the bad with the good. And so you have to make a decision as to what you're going to accept and what you're not. And those bills have been moving through. Very few of them just came through from start to finish unchanged. One one of them that did, though, was from Senator Bill Monford, who put in just a short bill to allow students in high school to use apprenticeship credits towards their electives for graduation. And, and that stayed three pages. It never changed, and it made it through both houses quite quickly, and it was one of the few. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. And we talked about, I think, uh, financial literacy in one of the previous podcasts, which has been kind of a rallying cry for Senator Huckel for many years and how it, it changed from being what she wanted, which would be a graduation requirement for all students to learn things like how to file for your taxes and how to balance a checkbook. And, um, it changed from a requirement to an optional thing that schools must offer as an option for students. And then in the end, it didn't even get passed. So uh, Senator Huckel said she'll be trying again on that one. But that's something we can put in the did not pass category. There were quite a few of those things. Uh, there was one bill that I thought was really pretty amusing, actually. And it was Representative Diaz's bill that was supposed to create a regular review of the formula for the way that they price index funding for education, that piece of the legislation, it was really short to start, never made it into the bill. And you told me that it landed somewhere else. Where was that? That's right. It landed in the budget. Um, so, and it won't be a regular review anymore because the budget's just a one year, a one year document. So it's, it will just be a review of that formula for the upcoming year. And that way they can use that review to kind of take a step back and look at some of the changes that they're making and see if it's beneficial and if that it's fair to the districts around the state, which are so diverse in terms of cost of living and population density and all things like that. But at the same time, the bill number lived on and it made it all the way through to the governor's desk with a whole bunch of other stuff that had come in and out of 7055 and had been their own bills at one point or another. And it, and they did a variety of things from using your AP and IB tests as a replacement for some end of course exams through to banning teachers from having relationships with adult, adult age students. So I, it became something quite different. Again, another one of those log rolled bills. And I guess for now, that's the way that people are going to do business, like you said. Yeah, definitely. That's fascinating. So there were a handful of other things that just kind of made you scratch your head and wonder what happened exactly why they did this. The um, There was a bill that went through that made it so that school board members would have to submit all sorts of documentation before they travel out of state to their to their fellow board members and get board approval and have public input before they're allowed to take those trips. That was just something that school board members suggested perhaps was unnecessary and just sort of piling on to them. But I've known school districts to do that for a long time anyway, so I didn't see that as a big deal. But the fact that they're putting things like that into legislation kind of makes me wonder, As they're, are they just trying to distract us from other things that are happening, the big bills, which of course, you know, have so many things in it, you can't even keep track sometimes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And I believe that was that that provision was moved around as well. Um, it was definitely part of 7055 at one point. I'm not sure where it ended up. Where, where did it end up? 
It ended up in Jennifer Sullivan's accountability bill, which the number escapes me right now, but it was it was a 23, 24-page bill that had a handful of things in there. Um, it also included a section where it banned superintendents who had been appointed in their districts from lobbying their districts after they leave. And it also talked about how if school districts lost a significant amount of revenue in their um reserves and they went under a certain level that they would not be allowed to have any out of district travel or cell phones paid for out of their budgets which was another interesting and perhaps not wise thing to do because we know that school districts use cell phones to communicate and if they can't pay for them i wonder if they're expecting employees to just bring their own hmm. yeah that is interesting there were there were a lot of accountability measures this year um there was that was also something that had been part of 7055 um that the more accountability measures for private schools that received public dollars through the various vouchers and scholarships and that had long been seen as kind of a piece to sweeten the deal for democrats who've been asking for that for a while now but at the same time they still didn't make it required that teachers in those schools that received those uh scholarships have degrees that's right so um Generally speaking, though, we could just go over the handful of bills that did pass, but most of them were pretty small. The big ones we've covered over and over again. Were there other things from the legislative session besides the the bills and the budget that, that stood out? Even it was just sort of like a general feel of things. This was your first legislative session in Florida, right? Yeah, that's right. It was it was absolutely crazy. I'm, I'm pretty tired this week. Um but yeah, I mean, one of the, it's interesting what kind of became sticking points and that becomes more obvious as the, the session goes on. You see things start changing back and forth between the chambers and as they kind of wrap up their final deals, you see who kind of comes out on top. And one thing that I thought was really interesting, um, was about the Hope Scholarship, which is the voucher for students who are bullied to move, to move schools. Um, and that was among one of the most talked about pieces of HB 7055. And the House had, had advocated for, uh, bullying claims to not have to be substantiated, or at least they objected to that language. Um, and the Senate had put in their version that bullying claims needed to be substantiated before any kind of scholarship offer was made to the family of the student who had been bullied. And in the end, it looks like the the House won on that. There isn't the word substantiated in the bill, um, I don't believe. And I think there's some kind of general reference to an investigation being made, but it does not seem like that is a requirement for the voucher to be offered. I thought that was really interesting. And like I said, it was something that became more clear toward the end. The Senate sure seemed to lose out quite a bit. I guess they traded off their higher ed for K-12. And so the things that they really wanted in higher ed was where they focused. Yeah, that's definitely kind of the narrative that um, has been going on for a while, that the House would get what it wanted in K-12 and the Senate would get what it wanted in higher ed. And even it was fascinating when they signed, when Governor Scott signed uh, 7055 and SB4, which is the Senate's higher ed bill, at the exact same time. And it almost had this kind of transactional feeling, at least to me, that, um, you know, here we are signing the House's bill and now we're signing the Senate's bill. And it's kind of like one for one. And um you know, they, they, the leaders both said, oh, we were proud to support the other chambers bill. But, um, you know, it, it, even in the budget conferences, you could kind of see these trades being made. Well, maybe someday we'll get back to the position where people will put in legislation 
one bill at a time, not negotiate them behind closed doors, and people will actually have some sort of say in the process again. Who knows? <laughs> that would be nice. So we have made it through the end of session. Congratulations to you. Um, thank you. And thank you so much for being with us here on the podcast every week to discuss these issues. We're going to give you a break now, unless you want to come back, and we're going to turn our attention to some other issues on the podcast. And please, you know, feel free to jump in on any issues, though, because we love having you here. Great. Yeah, it's been great to be here. I'll definitely keep listening. That's the end of our podcast. If you'd like to participate in this conversation or any others, please visit our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook. Follow the latest education breaking news on our blog, tampabay.com slash blogs slash gradebook. And please continue to bring us reviews of our podcast on iTunes. They really do help to find more people who are interested in this topic. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>